This is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo, and today I am speaking with Lisa M. Rose, the author of Urban Foraging, Find, Gather, and Cook 50 Wild Plants. Lisa is an herbalist and forager with a background in anthropology and a professional focus on community health. Her interest in ethnobotany and herbal medicine has taken her to study plants, people, health, and their connection to place internationally. Rose leads foraging plant walks and teaches classes on edible and medicinal wild plants. Lisa, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, urban foraging. So uh, tell us about it. Where, where did this idea come from? It's the latest incarnation of my delicious journey as a human on the earth. And, you know, as, as a professional, you know, building block, just again, connecting my interest in people, place, the environment, health, and I really love to eat, which a lot of us, I'm sure, most, most of us love food. Indeed. You'll find a lot of fans of that here in New Mexico. <laughs> it says urban foraging. So is this primarily geared towards people in an urban environment who otherwise might not understand or recognize what they have around them? Exactly. My previous books with the Timber Press, um, it's part of a, a series of, of books across the, the United States around foraging. I'm the subject matter expert uh, for the, the Great Lakes and the Midwest. Mm. Um, I grew up in, in uh, Michigan, from Flint, Michigan specifically. And, you know, the interest in urban foraging is really, and the purpose of the book, is to spark a curiosity to really re-examine for us, those of us that do live in the city, to re-examine our built environment, our relationship to it, and really just sparks a sense of wonder and awe and surprise and delight because nature is all around us. Lucky enough to be able to travel and go to some beautiful environments. But at the end of the day, my neighborhood is beautiful. Down, you know, our watersheds are beautiful. And connecting us to our place is really going to help create a next generation of, of environmental stewardship. You also spent time in New York City, or is that you're, are you just visiting there? Uh, regular. It is a regular haunt. Work mm. takes me to New York City. I've got family in New York City. We were talking a little bit before the show. You're from upstate New York. My, my family came to Michigan by way of New York City and upstate New York. So it's a cacophony of humans, noise, sound, and the environment. So it's it's a very unique place even to you know, do that work and see how people's eyes open up. How would you forage in New York City, for example? Great. So urban foraging really is is my framework of approaching how I, you know, view the place around me. So if I'm arriving to a city, one that I'm familiar with or even a new one, first, I really take time to orient myself where I'm at. So, the, you know, the four directions actually is pretty pretty helpful to know where the sun rises and sets. Mm -hmm. um, I think more functionally as an urban forager to start to consider, okay, where am I? What is the history of use in the land around me? Am I in a, a concrete jungle? Am I surrounded by, let's say, am I nearby to Central Park? Or am I, you know, in, in upper Manhattan or out in the boroughs? Each of those locations has a unique land use history, history across time, um, both, you know, historical and then prehistorical, right? And mm -hmm. then also considering, okay, what, what's the current state now? And my framework that I use 
it's it's not they aren't hard and fast rules but it's a checklist i do go through to think through where am i what's going on here what's gone on here and then the start to familiarize myself with the plants that are around me do i know what these plants are where are the trees where are the shrubs where's the water right mm -hmm. it's an orientation process that really again helps tell me oh I'm downstream from a paint factory <laughs> or <laughs> active or, you know, historically there was a paint factory here or, you know, PCBs, PFAS, you know, in, in Chicago, Detroit, all of our Rust Belt cities, we have a, a tremendous amount of legacy chemicals in the, in the soils and the, the silts in our water, right? So again, those are just data points. I, it's hard because I did grow up alongside you know, these toxic chemicals, and these, right? It's hard for me to say, oh, you can't eat the crab apples. It's it's dissonant to me, right? It, it's, you know, especially also adjacent to or contradictory or paradoxically the way we raise our food with such a conventional agricult agricultural approach to it. Again, the framework I use, it, it, it isn't a hard and fast set of guidelines, but they're considerations. Right, there are considerations that inform me. Is the soil uh, contaminated with lead? Is it a brownfield, which most of our cities have brownfield zones, right, designated by the EPA, having some degree of lead contamination? Um, as a gardener, I soil test. As a forager, I don't drive a white van around the neighborhood with all of my testing equipment with my little. <laughs> okay, it's not my look, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my look. Yeah. No. No. So I use so I use these data points as I'm taking in information to be the proxy, right? It's my stand-in data for you know I, I do love, uh, you know the the spectrum of tests you can do on the soils. That's that's a really important bucket of work. But my audience, right? I'm trying to provide them, again, a way forward to feel confident, to be confident. If you're not confident, I always say, well, then don't pick anything. Don't harvest anything. You, if you don't know what it is, you shouldn't put it in your mouth. Right. That gets to the next bucket, which is favorable plant identification, right? Yeah. Like, that's just like, that's me speaking to my children. You dude, you don't know what that is. Put it down, take it out right. of your mouth, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I also yeah. don't like the fear monger. So, so this being more of an educational um, and fun, right? Adventure. It should, sure. nature should be fun. We should re-find the joy that this discovery and exploration brings us. So that's yeah. the first bucket of my framework. Okay. So, um, identifying these edible plants and, I, and I'm really curious about what you would be able to identify, for example, in, in a, a large metropolitan area as something you could forage and then eat. Mm -hmm. You, you, anticipated my question about contaminants because mm -hmm. in any of you know any of these large urban areas and actually i mean even i'm thinking about uh where where i have family in pennsylvania there used to be mining you know mm -hmm. mining, and so you yeah. know the river the susquehanna river is like orange with sulfur dioxide and uh, all kinds of other chemicals and heavy metals but there's great lush plant growth around it what do you pick? What don't you pick? You know, yeah. what do you avoid? Let's stick with New York for a second. I mean, what uh, what could you just go out and pick from yeah. the wild uh, in the city? 
Well, so a couple things. First, you know, New York, consider its growing zone, its habitat, right? If we channel if images of Central Park right now, and I'm not suggesting every resident of New York start to treat Central Park as its, its green grocer, right? That's not a, an appropriate use of the space. So I want to qualify that. But most perfect, beautiful time of year in New York City, right? You've got maple hardwood forest mm. as a tree canopy. You've got oaks. Um, you know, the understory, and in every city, you do have the dastardly weedy invasives, right? The dandelion, you've right. got the chickweeds, the plantains, all of the, the docks, all of these, you have, you know, weedy plants that I, I think have gotten a really bad rap over time, um, sure. right? Because we do have a, as a culture, um, a preference toward a manicured Kentucky bluegrass style lawn, right? Right. So we've othered <laughs> all the all the weeds around us, and you know. So as I look around, I see I see those those plants. You know, I I don't think we see those plants anymore. We look at a landscape and we see one shade of green. I look at a landscape because I've trained my eye to see all all my plant friends and all mm -hmm. my tree shapes. Right, like you start to see as a painter would see, an impressionist painter would see. Right the detail and the color and and just even practicing that art of observation, you do start to see, oh my goodness, the New York City is lush with, with plants. Granted, yeah, there are there blocks that are like totally concrete and all you have are things mm -hmm. growing out of the, the refuse piles, God willing. <laughs> they should go, those should get picked up. <laughs> I mean that that's a thing too, but also again, to, I, I want to challenge our our viewpoint of our cities. As you mentioned the Rust Belt in Pennsylvania, I don't like the feeling that um, and having have fam you know family from you know Flint, Michigan. Uh, I don't like the feeling of that we've abandoned our our urban places for something better right mm -hmm. we've we've completely decimated the environment we've um completely blown up the socioeconomic infrastructure across all of our cities generally with very large chasms of economic disparity and you know for me i, I want to inspire hope i want to empower people with hope i want to democratize health i want to democratize the environment, the environmental world, botany even, right? These are basic skills we've had as humans yeah, yeah. since we were trolling the place originally, okay? Right. <laughs> you know, like this is functional knowledge as humans that no, we should be able to, to maintain. And so that's, you know, when I do take people out for a walk, in fact, when I'm out there next week, I'll take some of my, my, my city dwellers, um, you know, up in the, the, the upper west side and, up in in the northern you know 120s and, and take them out just to walk around through through the the brush brush edges you know of the river of riverside park and just to just to look and just to reconsider for one moment what could be as if we were to change large patterns of thinking toward hope regeneration beauty i think there's a beauty in gary indiana not many people see mm. and <laughs> It's true. Yeah, no, no. It's I, true. And and to restore that perspective or even to encourage a new perspective of place, that will then create a desire to take care of it. 
so the education is is really kind of key to getting people to understand this and your books are obviously one way to do it um and your walks obviously but how do we get the word out um in a, in a broader sense uh, apart from being on radio free galistan yeah yeah well <laughs> I think being on Radio Galisteo is amazing. So thank you for being interested. So it starts there, right? It starts with, hey, this sounds interesting. Mm. Hey, we have a community garden up the street. Hey, I want to plant a garden in my yard. Those garden spaces are, I view, as a gateway to understanding the broader, larger system that we live in, right? Mm. It mm -hmm. Teaching, you know, what we saw during the pandemic was this huge explosion of interest around gardening and kids gardening and home gardening. In fact, my my local um, big box store, I, I'm friends with like the head gardeners at, at all sorts of places, <laughs> right? I would imagine. And even, <laughs> you know, I just pick up conversations with, with, the, with those friends. And, you know, 10 years ago, there might've been, you know, a couple different end caps related to home gardening, vegetable gardening, but holy cow. You know, and this and it gets to be a little more serious. It's no no longer hobbyist, but when you look at inflation prices, mm. ability to grow your own food. I harvest acorns every fall. Sometimes between ten and fifteen um, pounds of flour I make from those acorns. Now, I mean, it's I, I, yeah, it's that's a lot of elbow grease. Yeah, <laughs> I've been traveling quite a bit, so I don't think I'm actually asking and enlisting friends. I'm like, you know, if you've got some time, could we? work out a barter. Could you just gather some nuts for me? Because the squirrels are winning. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, we, we're starting to see supply chain shortages. And, you know, when when we had the shutdown originally at the, the beginning of pandemic, I was really grateful that it was springtime because I knew that I could rely on my nettles. I knew that I could I could rely on the wild greens coming up and I could add those. I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't, I, I mean, I did, of course, like everybody else, I don't want to minimize that at all and say, ah, oh, I was fine. I wasn't. None right. of us were. Right. And, and we're still all kind of reeling from how that offlined us in a lot of ways. Absolutely. But the, the financial implication as well, you know, our grandmothers and, and grandfathers, you know, we're two generations removed of knowing how to do the basics. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's, at, there's a need to relearn those skills, if, if for anything, to save a couple of bucks at the at the grocery store. Before I go on to ask you about some some of the great stuff you can cook up uh, what, that you find, pocket gardens in New York City. I mean, uh, I I saw a couple while I was there. I think it was it was just before the pandemic. Okay. Uh, the buildings had gone down or been torn down, and the neighborhood turned the, that empty space between buildings into, uh, I, I guess, I guess they're called pocket gardens, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Taking those micro spaces and creating habitats, creating those micro habitats, inviting, again, fruit trees frequently in, in our landscape. We have crab apples. We have cows of dogwoods. I mentioned the oak tree. We have landscape designs that offer gen frequently edible plant parts, edible fruits, right? Edible nuts. Right. So, you know, if you see those, if, if you have the ability to organize a small group, talk with the land ownership to start to add diversity, biodiversity into those spaces, 
it, it's such a tremendous value add. It adds beauty, right, out the gate, right? We all know what happens with the, the broken window theory, right? If one broken window begets all the broken windows, mm -hmm. right? And so heading that off, it offers the immediate benefit of food and nutrition and a, and a nice plate of food that you can come together and share recipes around the table, right? And it, it does then start to also add gathering space. There are all these secondary benefits. It's not just about the crab apple that you might gather or the acorn that you might gather and process into flour or the berries you might gather along the the bramble, you know, on down on the river from, you know, the 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 raspberries and the wild blackberries, right? It 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 begets so many other changes and and value adds. Yeah, general well-being. Mhm. Mm absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh This is Radio Free Galisteo. Music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. Go to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and click on our Patreon support button to become an active supporting member of Radio Free Galisteo. You mentioned dandelions. I know probably a lot of people go, oh, dandelion wine. Uh, I lived in Italy for a while, and I know that dandelions, the greens, are a huge mm -hmm. part of uh, uh, at least the, the diet in northern uh, uh, Italy. Mm. Tell us what Across Europe. Yeah. Which are the right ones? Is there, is there a right or wrong one that you can pick? And what, what, do you, what can you do with them? Yeah, I feature in urban foraging um, plants on the whole have have few dangerous lookalikes. And so, you know, the dandelion, entirely edible stock, flower, stem, le I don't really eat. The well, yeah, sometimes I do eat the stems, the leaves, the roots. It depends on my, you know, the, how many I have and the, the, the uh, time I have also. But the entire plant part not only is edible, but it's used across the world, both as food and medicine. So, you know, we've really done a number on this poor, this poor plant because it's, it's, you know, on the, the, every landscaper's most wanted list, right, to eradicate from our lawns. But it does offer so many virtues as a food. Um, the flowers in the springtime, I love to bring the flowers in and use them to make my, my salad greens just gorgeous, right? There's a, there's a value and what I learned in Europe and learning, learning how to eat, I like to say, you know, being from the Midwest and the Great Lakes, very functional, right? We put food on the table because people got to eat. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Europe is a whole other, <laughs> yeah, I was no, like, wait, what? <laughs> there's a real art to it. The real art. And so, Dressing the salad with the flowers of the dandelion, the leaves, of course, are a bitter green. And bitters, you know, bitter greens, the endive, the chicories um, in, in Europe are a very, very basic um, way salad is presented, right, in, as part of the meal. And the, the benefits to that, the benefits to the bitter, bitter greens is that it improves digestion. It, mm. of course, is high in plant, um, plant proteins, magnesium, calcium, all the, all the, the good minerals. Um, but also by the time springtime rolls, by the time March rolls around, and you, if it, you know, being from upstate New York, you know the feeling. Like there are snow piles until 
this is why you live in New Mexico, snow piles yeah. until May. <laughs> okay. Yep. Right. And like I, now I, I think like, and because I'm attuned to this, when I see the nettles or I see the dock leaves pushing up through the garden or the, the early wild onions, you know, in, in the, in the corners of the, of the, the woodland, in the woodland shade, my body is like, oh, thank goodness we made it. <laughs> And oh, thank goodness, we no longer have to rely primarily on the, the spinach in the clamshell from the from the supermarket, right? Like, there's, you know, there's just such pallid sadness by, by March and in the north that when these greens come out of the ground, it there is this finally, yeah. finally, like, oh, thank goodness. I gotta say though, I don't. I'm not a fan of dandelion wine. You can, ah. I, I just don't. It's just not. A, it's just not a thing. Like, no, uh, okay, no, no, somebody me. makes it. Nor, like, nor you know. am I. Nor am I. I, I. I really, I really came to like the greens, like sautéed with some onion and. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and butter and mushrooms yes. and just again the wild. Like our palate has been so, uh, so cultured. And I'm gonna put that in air quotes because I don't feel it is. Because really, we only have a palate for two two flavors, sweet and salty, right? We yeah. have such an over-engineered, um, industrialized palate. And don't get me wrong, I love you know salt and vinegar chips and glazed donuts like the next girl. Like sure. I really do, but I really also then need a dandelion salad. <laughs> like yeah. My body's like, holy cow, what did you just do to me, right? Like so, yeah. I, I think to introduce these flavors that aren't familiar is important. It, it triggers a, a memory. It's like a, the reptilian brain just sort of goes, oh, this is how we used to do it. This is how it used to be, right? When you start, and you know, that's why we like our dark beers. That's why we like our coffees. It, it, it pulls us into that bitter, earthy, whole more robust flavor profile, right? Than, than what we currently have as part of our everyday you know our everyday grab and go you know food container or processed yeah. to go food you know yeah absolutely so you said you're the kind of the midwest expert uh, do you do you know anything about our area uh, in terms of plants here yeah. in the in the northern new mexico and the southwest when i come to new mexico or the the desert southwest i come less as an expert and more as an observer and a learner so again, I, I approach regions that I'm not as familiar with. With a, I have to orient myself differently. I have to look at your, the landscape quite, you know, just a, a, in a different way. I have to attune my senses. Mm -hmm. um, there are plants that have universal—that's un, oh, a tough one—that un, are universal, you know, across different growing regions. But they will appear as different species. They will appear, you know, in different different. Um, you know, I think of the yarrow immediately. The yarrow in the desert southwest is very different than it appears in, in the high summer here in the Great Lakes. So it's just, I can start to recognize the distant cousins, but I have that respect to orient myself to place to say, okay, this is where I am. And, and, and if I don't know it, I'm not going to put it in my mouth. We covered that. And, right. <laughs> and certainly from a habitat perspective, I believe that it's my duty. It's my, um, you know, it's it's that it's just the duty to learn, validate, verify, be invited to gather. Like there are just elements to that. Like I have to earn a place 
in that uh, environment before I can just pop in and just start gathering all of your nopales fruits for my margaritas at five o'clock. <laughs> Great Am I right? Am I yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, priorities. Uh, we're, going, we're going to Santa Fe. What are we going to do today? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think, well, I think you should come out here and do a walkabout and we'll, we'll all figure it out together. And it, that's, I think, too, part of the journey. All right. Well, what, what would you say? Uh, uh, I know there are a number of things you want people to learn from this book, but uh, give us one of the key points that you really hope people pick up uh, by, by reading your book. Yeah, well, thank you. With Urban Foraging, I hope you have a new perspective on where you live. Even if you're beyond an, an immediate urban area, if you have, if you live in the urban area, again, pick up, pick up my book, of course, but also if you want to extend your interest, look for the gardeners, look for the, the experts at the green markets, just start to ask questions, start, I, you know, I love a continual growth mindset. I always learn from my farmers. I learn from those that are, are closest to the land. I learn from my chefs right? There's always this exchange that can happen that can lead you to that next resource that, that could really add a tremendous uh, new perspective, a delicious perspective uh, uh, on where you live. It's making me hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. All right, <laughs> These I'm are always more fun in person. I bring snacks. Oh, man. <laughs> Dang. You should have sent ahead. I, I know I'm, I'm going to, I'm trying to work on that. The next one will have like deliveries in advance. Oh, very good. The book is Urban Foraging, Find, Gather, and Cook 50 Wild Plants. The author is Lisa M. Rose. Lisa, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Well, hopefully we'll get you out here and uh, walk around and pick some plants and, and cook them and eat them. Heck yes. Let's make it a plan. First quarter of next year. It's a beautiful time to uh, yeah, yeah, get out on, to New Mexico. <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, late February, uh, <laughs> we already got things coming up. So, uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, that would that, that'd work out fine. All right. Where can people find this book? Find this book. I love to nudge folks to go into their independent bookseller and say, hey, what do you got on foraging, urban foraging? And there's this new book by a lady named Lisa Rose. That's always a good good starting point. All right. um, I'm, a, I'm a, an, a random blogger on the internet, author lisamrose.com. It's got some of my musings there on the web. So if you wanted to get a flavor first before you try before you buy it, okay. you can find some of my musings there. And then of course, on the, on the interwebs and on the socials and, and do always keep in touch. I love to hear folks stories, their ahas, their learnings, and uh, to see how our communities grow beyond uh, just our conversation today. Okay, fantastic. I'll put uh, I'll put your website along with the podcast so people can come and visit uh, that way and uh, uh, track down your book. Awesome, and we'll make a date for next next spring. Okay, fantastic. All right. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you. Talk soon. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.